Well, we're so glad that you're joining us here today, whether in Ajax, Port Perry, Bowmanville, or beyond. Welcome to Sanctus Church. You are most welcome this morning. Around this time every year, I will get up, as I'm doing right now, and I will preach a sermon that I have preached many times before. And why do I preach the same sermon? Well, first, many of you have joined us since last September, and this sermon is one of those most significant moments where it becomes very clear to you that have joined us what church you have joined, and if you are checking out this church, what church you are maybe joining. Second, for all of us who call this church our home, this is our yearly checkup. This is our yearly weigh-in. It is that moment where we have an honest conversation with God, each other, and ourselves about where we really truly are in our spiritual lives. And so let me begin with the most obvious question. Why does Sanctus Church exist? Actually, why does every single church on earth supposedly exist? Why do we do all that we do? Well, the answer is simply summarized, actually, in our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And then every year I ask this question, well, okay, what do you mean by fully devoted? What does fully devoted actually look like? And of course, we're coming from so many different places. Some of us are seekers and skeptics. Some of us are brand new Christians. Some of us have some starting points. Others have none at all. Others of us have been walking with Jesus, and we might have some key critical ideas, and yet many of you are Christians, and you have come from other churches, and actually you might use different words for the same thing that we're talking about, which causes confusion. Now you're part of our community. So over the last few years, we've worked very hard to create a common script so we can keep on walking together to sort of pioneer together in the same direction, to have the same understanding with the same language as we personally and also as a large church community, follow Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We also need to stop and ask again, what does that fully devoted thing mean? And actually, what do we even mean by disciple? See, now we in 2019, our modern vernacular, when we are followers of Jesus, we always refer to ourselves as Christians which is fine, but the original word for us was not Christian. That was actually given to us as insult. The original name for us was disciple. Now, disciple is a churchy word. It's a religious word now. It's an ancient idea, but most of us who have done church even for a long time either forget what a disciple originally meant or might not even know ourselves. Now, every year I quote this, and I'm going to do it again because it is the most succinct and best understanding of discipleship in Jesus' time. A guy named Ray Vanderland writes this, like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely that they'd start to think like the rabbi and act like the rabbi. They were devoted followers who probably were in their mid-teens. Gifted students would always approach a rabbi and ask, may I follow you? In effect, saying, do I have it in me to be what you want or to be like you? And either the rabbi would accept the student or actually reject the student and send them off to the trades. Go be a lawyer, go be a plumber, you may not be my disciple. Now, Jesus reversed all this. This is critical. Jesus broke the Jewish rabbinical pattern when he went and chose his own disciples. He asked his disciples to follow him because they knew, they knew without a doubt that their rabbi now believed in them. 
A disciple followed the rabbi everywhere, often not even knowing or asking where they were going. They rarely left the rabbi's side for fear they'd miss that teachable moment. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow the rabbi so closely they'd start to think like him again and act like him. To make it simple, a disciple would be so close to their their master that they'd be wanting to be covered in the rabbi's dust. Now, Now, we just need to stop and pause and remember this. Jesus chose us. We didn't choose him. And why that's so profound, it means that he has decided that he's going to give us what we need to do this thing called the Christian faith. So if we're going to follow Jesus so profoundly in a close way, if we're going to be actually like Jesus, to be covered in Jesus' dust, to think like Jesus and to act like Jesus, then we have to ask a new series of questions. Well, where can I find Jesus to know him and be like him and hear from him and be transformed by him in an ongoing way? Because we as Christians believe Jesus is alive, not dead. So where do we find him to follow him? Are there guaranteed places of encounter between everyday ordinary people and Jesus right at this moment? In other words, if I walk in certain environments, if I am in certain places, if I do certain practices, will I, as a follower of Jesus, already find Jesus? Is that even a right expectation? Because remember, if our expectations are unmet, it can cause chaos. Well, the answer in Scripture is yes. God is omnipresent, all places, everywhere. But there are places, according to the Bible where God always comes close and can always be encountered. And this, by the way, and lean in please, sets the biblical godly expectation we need because in our culture, expectations are given to us all the time and they fall down. What I'm about to teach, once again, this truth that I'm about to give you transcends gender and age and education level. It transcends my preference or your preference about size of church or style of church. And this goes beyond, do I like the worship style or not? Do I like who's preaching today or not? Do I like the pastor's look or not? Do do I like the clothing style or not? See, here's what's so critical. What I'm about to teach you, once again, I can declare to you emphatically is true. It is guaranteed, and the expectation when grounded in Scripture changes everything. Size of church doesn't matter. Who's more gifted doesn't matter. Who has the money doesn't matter. How I'm feeling today or in the season of my life, whether I'm really up or down, important, needs to be talked through, but does not change this essential truth. Now, I know many of you have heard this before, but again, I want to ask you to lean in and be profoundly aware because this is critical to everything we do in this community. So where are the environments that we must walk in to be with Jesus so we can think like him, act like him, and be close to him if we really want to be disciples? Well, the first guaranteed place of encounter, like we teach here all the time, is the actual proclamation of the good news of Jesus. As Paul wrote to a church in Rome In Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes, first for Jews, then non-Jews. Now, the word power is where we get our word dynamite from. In other words, 
when someone proclaims the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, there is sheer power. It is dynamic. It is life-giving. It is actually the place where the Holy Spirit takes all of God the Father's election and calling and work and all of Jesus' work, past, present, and future, and inserts it into a life. The Holy Spirit is always around, always above, always below, always behind the giving of the gospel. So no matter if someone that you're speaking to says yes to Jesus, let me reassure you something. When you proclaim Jesus is alive and forgiveness is available, you are not alone in that situation. Jesus is standing right beside you. And lots of us are afraid because we're like, I don't know if I have all the answers, and I'm not sure if I'm good enough, and I don't have a PhD in science. No, freeze. When you proclaim the gospel of Jesus, it is a guaranteed place of encounter. Why? Because the gospel is not like other messages. It is the power of salvation. So don't be afraid. That's an expectation that needs to alleviate a lot of our what? Fear. The second guaranteed place of encounter between us and our Lord is the Scriptures. The Bible is always a guaranteed place of encounter between God and his people. The book of Hebrews says that the Bible is living and active. The Holy Spirit is always present, always overshadowing these words. Listen again to Paul's fame mini description of all scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness, the things of God, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit is always about leading us into all of God's truth, the holy faith passed down. And where is Jesus' teachings found? And where are all of God's stories and thoughts? And where are his revelations and commands and promises found? Where is what we call the apostolic teaching found in the scripture, in the written word of God? The Holy Spirit not only leads us, he teaches us because he is the author of the scriptures. There might be 66 books and numerous writers and numerous cultural overtones, but behind all of that beautiful diversity is unity in one author. That is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. The image in my mind is the Holy Spirit is always hovering over the Scriptures, pointing, illuminating. But remember this, you cannot divorce the written Word of God from the living Word, Jesus, and His Spirit, and you can never understand the Scriptures without the author in the room with you. You may be reading through Leviticus and saying, this is the, uh, he is speaking. The third place of guaranteed encounter are spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are that only ongoing place of transformation after you've met God through Jesus. These holy habits keep the relationship healthy and right and balanced after you've said yes to Jesus, faith alone, grace alone, through Jesus alone. Never forget, because we talk about this all the time in this church, Jesus used spiritual disciplines to walk with the Father. He modeled what a disciple and a follower looked like. So to be like Jesus, we must walk like Jesus did and share in his lifestyle. And so spiritual disciplines provide the ongoing dynamic experience in our already positionally worked out reality. They give us a common script to talk to each other about experience and growth. Simplicity, confession of sin to others, prayer, fasting, service, solitude, silence, studying God's word, just to name a few. It is a guaranteed place of encounter. Jesus used them all the time to listen and hear and to walk. The fourth area of guaranteed encounter, which we talk about here all the time, is spiritual gifts. Why? Because spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of heaven-given power to do God's work on earth. 
Jesus used spiritual gifts because he's not just Savior and Lord, he's our model. And since we are now, Paul says, we are the body of Christ, we are together given the same gifts to imitate and act like Jesus and to be near Jesus. Never forget, gifts are about doing. The fruit of the Spirit is about being, character. You personally, we will not have all 21 gifts, but we're all called to ask for more of the Holy Spirit's fruit. And as we talk about all the time, natural gifts, what you're born with, learned gifts, what you learn can be used and redeemed for the kingdom of God, but they are not guaranteed places of power, nor are our programs or even visions. Never forget what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And all these gifts, spiritual gifts, are the work of the one and same Spirit. And the Holy Spirit distributes them to each one just as He determines. The Holy Spirit's presence is guaranteed every time we use our God-given spiritual gifts because they are the God-given place of service and they need his power to work every single time. If Jesus' spirit is not in the room or not in the life, the gifts are not in the room. He's the gas in the car. He's the electricity behind the socket. You can never use his gifts without him being in the room. They're not in your hand. They're in your heart. Another guaranteed place of encounter is what we're doing at this moment gathered worship. When we sing, when, when we gather like this, we enter right into God's holy presence with every single faithful angel. We actually enter into the same environment where every single person who has died already, who are already with Jesus, are celebrating. We actually enter into the environment that if Jesus' blood had not covered us, we would die because God is holy. We're in God's presence right now. And, and let me share what I did last year. Before you come to a gathering like this, when you're driving in the car with a minivan with all the kids screaming or whatever your life is like, do you stop and say, I am about, no matter how I'm feeling, I am about to enter in to the very literal presence of God where I will encounter the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you come prepared? Right now, this is happening. Whether you feel it or not, see it or not, God is among us, and we are in the holy place of God. What did the psalmist teach us? You are holy, God, and you inhabit, you live in, you sit in, you reside in what? The praises, the singing of your people. James says this, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. We host his presence as we worship. What does Paul teach? Paul teaches that we are the literal, our bodies are the literal temples of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus himself teach in Matthew 18? For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. At this moment, Jesus is in this room, he's in Port Perry, he's in Bowmanville, and he's in every gathering right now globally where two or three are gathering in Jesus' name. It is a guaranteed place of encounter. Another guaranteed place of encounter is communion. Do we believe that Jesus is in the wine or the juice and the bread? No. But we do not believe in this church about bare memorial apart from the presence of God. You might call it the breaking of bread or communion, the Lord's Supper, or the old name Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. It's multifaced. It is a place of remembrance, of course. We stop and remember and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But it's just not just remembrance. Think about the word communion. Think about what the word means. It is an environment, it is a place where we commune with the living Jesus and each other. It is not good for us to be alone. And the meal is hosted by Jesus himself. It is in that environment we declare and experience and know God's grace and peace through Jesus and his spirit. 
The juice and bread are not Jesus. They don't turn into anything. They're symbols that focus our attention. But let me reassure you this morning that every single time communion is served, Jesus is at that table. It is a place of forgiveness. Jesus eats with sinners even today and reminds us that God's mercy are new every morning. And so in our tradition, if we're passing communion up and down rows at any of our sites and someone's passing, yes, they're passing it, but let me reassure you, Jesus is walking up and down the rows wondering if we want to talk and meet with him. If we're doing come forward communion, we're coming forward. Trust me, elders or pastors or, or other leaders in our community might be serving you, but let me reassure you, Jesus is at the table wanting to meet with you. Another guaranteed place of encounter is water baptism. Oh, do we believe you get the Holy Spirit or you become a Christian when you get baptized? No, baptism doesn't save you. But we do believe Jesus, by his Spirit, is close and present every single time someone goes public with their faith and says yes. As we say here all the time, baptism is the vows and the wedding ring of the gospel. Trust me, the groom is always present when vows are being taken. I mean, think about Jesus' very last words in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make, oh, notice, disciples, those who think and act like Jesus and are covered in his dust. Of what? All nations, all ethnicities, all skin colors, all backgrounds baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Oh, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, and, and how is Jesus with us to the very end of the age? Because he's ascended. Oh, right. He gives us what? His Spirit, who's called the Spirit of Jesus, who allows us to know his presence. The last guaranteed place of encounter is suffering for the sake of Jesus in the kingdom of God. There's two forms of suffering, and I want to just stop and say this again, because we need this. Because the church has been pillaged by those who teach that suffering has nothing to do with the gospel. And actually, the sign of the gospel is prosperity. The very first way that we suffer for the gospel, and it's a guaranteed place of encounter, is when we decide that we love Jesus more than what we want. If we want to think like Jesus and act like Jesus, do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Where he is genuinely wrestling. And what did Jesus say to the Father? Not my will, but what? Your will be done. And so I want you to lean in this. Every single time we in our sinfulness want to do something that feels right and it's going to be fun and exciting and we want to do it, whether it's lying or, or, or cheating or stealing or something lustful or sexual, when we decide that it is better to obey God, and we love Jesus more than our rights. We love Jesus more than our wants. When we love Jesus more than our desires. In other words, when we crucify our wants for the sake of a greater thing that is a guaranteed place of encounter between you and Christ. That's how you participate in his sufferings. We have a generation of people who have been taught you don't need to suffer to know Jesus, but our symbol is what? A cross. The second way that we suffer this guaranteed place is that when we are from the outside mocked or marginalized or attacked for the basic fundamental beliefs of being a Christian, like Jesus is the only way, or God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, as Creator has said things are right and wrong, you will suffer. Now, this isn't talking about shoplifting. If you do that, you're just wrong. This isn't saying you're being rude while I'm suffering for Christ. No, no. This is when you're attacked for the faith. 
Remember what Peter said? 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Oh, right. Suffering is normal, average Christian life. And what did Paul write at the end of his life? This is the man who gave up his faith, his family. This is the man who was in the third heaven. This is the man who had been beaten, stoned, shipwrecked multiple times. He's writing this in jail. And he says at the end of his life, I want to know Christ. And you're like, you want to know Christ? I want to know Christ like you know Christ. He says, no, I want to know him more. And notice, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow obtaining the resurrection from the dead. When the gospel is preached, when the scriptures are read, when spiritual disciplines are followed after salvation, when spiritual gifts are used, when we gather in worship, when we take communion, when we witness or participate in baptism, and when we suffer for Jesus, these are guaranteed places of encounter. Salvation is never earned by these things. They strengthen, they give space for the Holy Spirit to encourage, rebuke, correct, and help us. The Holy Spirit takes us to Jesus. Jesus takes us to Father. This is how we choose to walk in the dust of Jesus and to be what? Like him. But one critical thing we must all remember is this. Our decision and our personal holiness matters. The power and the life change in the person that you want to meet in those environments can be grieved. His power and presence can be muted and dampened, not removed. What did Paul say in Ephesians 4.30? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been personally sealed until the day of redemption. Oh, you're elected and saved and Jesus is your brother and adopted and it's all good, but just so you know, if you choose, if we choose to continue to participate in things that God calls sin, we will mute and we will grieve the Spirit of God. And so when we grieve the Spirit of God and then we walk into the guaranteed places of encounter, the gifts don't disappear, but the power dims. When we walk into the environment and we grieve the Holy Spirit, the spiritual practices are still good, but they become powerless to transform. How can you hear someone you're telling to shut up at the same time? See, when we walk into the environment, there are guaranteed places of meeting, but our holiness matters because actually the one we're going to meet can be dampened. And that's why, by the way, churches can participate in all the guaranteed places of encounter, and there still feels that, it feels like there's, there's dust and there's, there's just nothing there, and we're like, what's wrong? Maybe we need a different program. No, no, no. You don't need a different style of worship or a different program. All we need to ask is, Lord... Am I grieving the Spirit? You want to see a church change? You want to see a worship service change? More and more people in their personal lives not grieving the Holy Spirit will change the environment of a church every single time. Because the Spirit of God will be so present when we gather personally and corporately the less we grieve Him. So now we know what a disciple is. Someone who thinks and acts like Jesus. Wow. And we've also found out that Jesus believes in us because He's personally called us and He's given us the power to do the impossible. And now we know where to follow him and find him. So now we need to ask the question, here at Sanctus Church, how do we work all this out? Now again, let's hear the language 
that we use here as we move forward, one understanding, one common script, uh, to be more devoted followers. And remember, it's not just common language. Every year, we can, in a very real, simple, and honest way, evaluate, where am I with the most important relationship I'm involved in? Am I a disciple? And even if I am, where am I? Where was I last September? Where am I now? And please make the needed connection as I do this. Every single what we call dimension or environment of discipleship here is based on the guaranteed places of encounter. There are five simple phrases that we use to talk about becoming more fully devoted. And here they are. Celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, and engage in mission. Celebrate big. We believe in celebrating God together in big gatherings. We see right in the early movement of the Christian movement, uh, regularly gathering in the temple courts, and there was three, four, five plus thousand people at once. Like the early church, we rally, we love, we're drawn to large gatherings, preaching, teaching, worship, prayer, giving, communion. We witness baptisms. They're all done to encounter God, to help us, to spur us on in everyday life. And whether we're going through a discouraging season or, or an amazing one, we cling to the truth that we hear. We're called to celebrate big, the goodness of God, regardless of our circumstances. And why? Because Jesus is always here when we gather. The second place we talk about is connecting small. It says in Acts 2.46, the blueprint of every church on earth, every day they, the early church, continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's the large gatherings. Oh, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were doing life together, eating, sharing, helping, having close relationships with each other. Well, it's the same here at Sanctus Church. We believe connecting small is equally as important as celebrating big. It's a place where someone notices your spiritual growth, knows your name, cares when tough things are happening. Connecting is about authentic relationship, unpacking how your walk with Jesus is going, how the sermons are affecting you, trusting others the same, will do the same with you, praying, eating, learning, supporting, caring. And in this community, we do connecting small in three directions, freedom sessions, work out your history, alpha, discover who Jesus is, and see if you want to follow him, or if you've just started following him, understanding what you've just joined, and connect groups as we call them, gathering around sermons to talk, to pray, and to encourage each other. Celebrate big, connect small, and the next one is walk with Jesus. We see in the early church they devoted themselves deeply to the apostles' teaching. Now, while Sanctus Church can provide connect groups for you and Alpha and freedom sessions and teaching and worship and serving opportunities, we cannot force you to spend time with Jesus. We all need to take personal responsibility for our own walk with Jesus That's why we believe like the spiritual disciplines like reading scripture or prayer or biblical meditation or solitude are so important. The ongoing rhythm between you and Jesus is critical. Reading your Bible, praying, sitting with Jesus like Jesus sat with the Father. When you regularly walk with Jesus, it's not always fire from heaven, but when you prioritize time day in and day out, week in and week out, Jesus will show up in your life, small and large ways, and over time, profoundly change you. You cannot give what you do not have. And all of us need to do this well. Why? Because Jesus did this with the Father, and we want to be like him. The next one is share the work. 
We believe that God has uniquely given every Christian spiritual gifts to help advance the kingdom of God. And since they are spirit-given, you will get joy from using spiritual gifts. Burnout rates drop because the well that you're accessing is not you, but something else. When we work together, we can work profoundly in unity. This avoids the temptation of comparison. I don't have to be you. You don't have to be me. We just need to find out how the Spirit of God has equipped us, equipped us and serve. Sharing the work is not independence, nor dependence. It's interdependence. And we must follow Jesus in this way. We must serve as discipline and then serve also out of gifts. And lastly, engage in mission. There is immense generosity revealed in the New Testament both in the life of Jesus and the early church. We, we're called to, tell, to take the gospel, the good news, to family members and workplaces and neighborhoods, whether you're telling your story or, or sharing something on the street or taking someone to Alpha. We're also time to, to, called to give our money and our time and invest in things that last. Generosity, by the way, always is a marker of a follower of Jesus. And beyond giving regularly to this local church, here at Sanctus Church, we've established local and global partners focusing on long, life-term change. It says in Acts 2.47, the early church enjoyed the favor of all the people, not just Christians. So engaging in mission through Jesus, you'll begin to love others. Maybe you never thought you would. When you give financially, intentionally, plan faithfulness, when you share the good news of Jesus and you partner locally and globally, you're close to Christ. Now, don't misunderstand what I've just done. A lot of us who've grown up in church just built a to-do list and a checklist in our head to make sure that the guy upstairs likes us more. No. We are already loved by Jesus. We're already called by Jesus. We're already elected by God the Father. The Holy Spirit is in us. This is about love first, not duty. We want to be in these environments because we want to be close to Jesus. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we experience the love of God. The more we experience the love of God, the more we will love others. The more we love others, the world will be changed. God loves us through Jesus, and we love Jesus so much. We want to hang out with him and be near him. As we explore each of these five dimensions, no matter if you've been walking with Jesus for days, months, years, or decades, every time when we stop, and we really look at where we are, we always find new places to grow. And so we worked for a long time because what we needed to do is build a very simple image that could help us understand this. All the ushers, if you could just uh, get up right now across all sites, and I'm going to ask the ushers at this moment to hand out this booklet. And this is a summary of everything I've just said. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to actually evaluate actually where we are. So there are books, there are pens. We're going to take a moment. Don't be too nervous about the quiet moment. And we'll pass these out. I'll come back, and I'm going to tell us what we're going to do as a whole church family.
Okay. A few of you still might be getting them, but I think most of us have them. If you want to go to the third last page in the book, and here's this simple sort of symbol that or icon that we invented. And you, you can draw this on a napkin anywhere with any person, any connect group or having coffee, and you'll see it. So you're at the center, and then the five dimensions, celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, engage in mission, are all there. And, and this is how you do a very simple uh, evaluation of yourself. And notice, these aren't class bases, it's not linear. It's a continuum, and it's sort of evaluating where you are on this moment, because over a lifetime, things change in all sorts of different directions. So if you look at the image now in your book, right there, on the self-assessment, you draw a circle along each dimension that best represents how you feel you're personally doing. The more active you are in a discipleship dimension, the better you're doing, the farther away from the center you should mark the circle. The less active, or if you're struggling or not doing well in one discipleship dimension, the closer you should be drawing and marking your circles. So what we want you to do is just take 15, 20 seconds, and, and remember, don't lie. This is your own self-evaluation, and God is watching. And so, but no, take a look and just say, look, how am I doing with Celebrate Big? How am I doing with Connecting Small? How is my walk with Jesus? How, how is my share of the work? Am I genuinely volunteering in Jesus' name and doing that? How is my giving? How is my local global engagement? How is my invitation to the gospel? So just take a moment. We want you to mark those right now. The closer you are, you're not doing well. The farther away, you're doing better. And you should be able to see 15, 20 seconds, maybe a minute, you'll see sort of what your shape is at this moment spiritually. So would you take a moment with the pens you've got and do this, and then we're going to come back and tell you what to do next. So let's just all do that together now. Here's what's, first of all, I want you to take a look at what you've just said about yourself. That is what you look like at this moment. And the first thing we want uh, you to do is we would like you to pick two of the areas. You can just mark this there or in your head and say, this coming year, I want to grow in these two environments. We know you can't grow in all five all at once. So pick one or two critical areas and you're like, you know what, I want to really get serious about uh, engaging in mission or sharing the work or celebrating big. So pick one or two and you just got that sense in your mind what's taking place. Now here's the other thing that's really important for us as leadership. We want to get a sense of where our whole church is as a snapshot in this moment. And so you'll notice that page, now you've marked it. You can put on your name if you'd like, you don't have to, but it's perforated. 
And we would love all of you just to tear that out right now. That'd be great. Thank you. Wow. That's a lot of tearing. Okay. Great. Excellent. And we want you to hold on to that. And at the end of the service, at every site, no matter where you are, there are ballot boxes in the lobbies. And as you leave, we would like you to drop this in because what we're going to do is we're going to actually take all the data from our whole church and we're going to see the shape of our church to see where we're really doing well but also where we're not doing well so we can actually help and teach and grow and encourage each other better in that area. Does that make sense? So would you all just take a moment and would you stand with me? And let's just uh, take a moment to dedicate what we've just done to pray over what we're about to do and see God do some things in us. So thanks, Lord, for this moment. A few things we want to say. Number one, thank you, Lord, that (laughs) you keep talking and meeting with us. Thank you there are guaranteed places of encounter that are not based on money or power or position or style. They're based on love because you want to meet with your people. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, also that you keep coming for us. And hundreds, actually thousands of us by the end of this process will have committed to grow in one or two areas. So Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit. And would you really help us to grow in one or two of these dimensions? We also pray for our holiness as our church, the, the sanctus of our church, that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit and so that he would be more free to do profound things among us. And Lord, also just give us incredible wisdom what to do next as we see the shape of our church. We're so thankful for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're about to do. Thank you that you keep meeting us. We now just dedicate this moment to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh,